We were working through the book of Daniel with a series uh, entitled Living for God in a Godless World. And, uh, but we're leaving the book of Daniel now. Uh, you say, oh, well, what about the old prophecies? Well, if, uh, let me just summarize. The final chapters of Daniel, chapter 8 onwards, can be summarized as predicting the generations and the governments, the empires and so on, that would pass between Daniel's time and the coming of Jesus Messiah into the world. And the prophecies of Daniel, apart from two references in the last chapter to the resurrection of the dead, the prophecies of Daniel are not about the second coming of Jesus, but his first coming. And even the 70 weeks, which is 490 years, uh, there isn't a gap in those. They are the countdown from when the instruction was given that Jerusalem could be rebuilt to the coming of the Lord Jesus and the making of the new covenant, which of course was firstly offered to the Jewish nation and then to the nation's of the world. So the prophecies of Daniel, apart from the resurrection of the dead prophecies, are fulfilled in history. And if you really want to know more about that, I can provide some graphs and some notes to you as an individual, and you can look at those. I thought, shall I print them? Nah. If, you, if you're even interested, ask me, and I'll do that. But I don't want to do that level of Bible study on a Sunday morning. You see, Sunday morning, I believe, is the preaching scripture to see lives changed. It's information leading to transformation. It's not just me giving you lots of Bible knowledge. Though I can't help but give you some along the way. I mean, you know who I am. So moving on then from living for God in a godless world, I'm starting a new series today. It's called Loving God. I felt that I should speak on this over some Sundays to come, though it won't be every Sunday. Colin will be preaching and other people as well. Loving God sensibly should have come before living for God, but never mind. We all know the songs, don't we? We sang one this morning about loving God. In amongst the, your goodness, it starts with, we, I love you because. How many of you know, I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice to worship you? Yeah, I'd sung that hey, many, many, many times. There's, if you got the notes, there's a footnote about how that was written. It's really quite moving. Um, my Jesus, I love thee, I know thou art mine. comes from 1864. And oh, how I love Jesus. That's the chorus to, uh, there is a name I love to hear. That's a, those two songs there were good old Pentecostal hymns I grew up singing. My Jesus, I love thee. Oh, how I love Jesus. But do we know what it is to love God? The law of God commands us to love him. This is the great command to Israel, the great call out to Israel. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God, that's Yahweh your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Jesus identified that in three Gospels as the greatest commandment. It's the greatest commandment, the highest, the first, the priority. There's a John Legend song that I know the chorus of better than the rest, but it's all of me loves all of you. You remember, anybody heard that song? That is what the law commands, that all of me loves God. Yes. Loving the Lord is not an optional extra, an addition to Christian life. It's the center and the root and the source of this life. Now, I hope we can be honest together. If I were to ask you if you love the Lord, that is, those of you who identify yourself as believers, some of you may not be believers yet, I guess that I'd get a whole variety of answers. Let me just take two extremes, perhaps. All right? Firstly, at one end of the scale would be someone who immediately asserts, yes, of course I know God. Uh, perhaps they're even offended to be asked the question. 
right? And at the other end, there'd be at least one person who would find it almost impossible to respond to the question at all. It's a question they don't feel qualified to answer. They're unsure, they're uncertain, maybe discouraged. Many of us perhaps sit somewhere between those two positions. That's setting the scene, perhaps posing the problem. I think many of us struggle with this. We don't feel we love God as we should. We don't understand how to. Whatever your thoughts and responses today, and I think there are more of us who need lifting up than need humbling, I'll be honest with you. Set aside your first reaction because we're beginning a journey together today to learn what it is to love God. What is love? Love, what is it? Our problem is that we think we know what love is and we don't. That is, we have a set of values wrapped around the word love in modern English, but it's not what the Bible means by love and it's certainly not when it comes to God loving us and our loving God. In fact, there's a word for that love in Greek which is different from every other love. It's, it's higher, it's greater. It, it's, it, it's way beyond loving one, loving a partner as a husband or a wife. It's way beyond loving your friend. It's way beyond that. Our English language has many words. It's very rich. And we could use all sorts of words instead of just bashing the word love around. We could talk about friendship. We could talk about sexual attraction and sexual activity. We could talk about devotion. We could talk about honor. We could talk about respect. But we just throw love into all of those things. So that if someone approaches you and says, I love you, depending upon who that is and the context in which it is said, you might warmly welcome that or be appalled. Yes? yes. Those same words could have a whole range of meanings. So we're going to look at love, what love is in Scripture, the meanings of love. Firstly, this does not start with us. I'm going to read some familiar Scriptures to you. You've probably been preaching before, especially if you heard me preach through John's Gospel and 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, a few years ago. 1 John 4 verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested towards us. People talk about manifestation, manifest, it's a word that prophetic people like to throw around, and it's a jargon word really. It means put on show, demonstrated. Demonstrate it. You could see it. In this, the love of God was made clear, demonstrated to us, that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. And in this is, in this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, as the putting away of our sins for us. And then in Romans 5, verse 8, Paul writing, God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God did not send a message from heaven, I love you all. He put his son on the cross. Demonstrated his love. 
Both faith and love are relationship words. Faith is not a word meaning magic. By faith, I'll make something happen. Faith is dependence and trust and obedience towards God. I trust him to make something happen. Yeah? It's a relationship word. So is love. Love doesn't stand on its own. It, love is the connection between two people. Between God and man. Man and God. Husband and wife in a different sense. It's a relationship. And the Bible uses the word love in terms of the love of God to how God relates to us through Jesus and by the Holy Spirit. It points us to what he has determined towards us and what he has done for us in Christ Jesus. Now let me tell you something that just popped into my head this morning. I, I, I've been reading some theology lately. I didn't quite get it from that, just, but never mind. God is holy and the outworking or manifestation of his holiness is that he is good. We were singing about his goodness today. And his goodness is seen in his love. Which is not firstly about what he feels for us. It's what he determines and does for us. When we use the word love, we are so often are talking about affections, emotions, feelings. But the test of love is not the depth of feeling, but the deeds that are done. In marriage preparation, Karen and I will talk to people and we'll say, you can say I love you every day, but one of the tests of it is whether you join in with the washing up or whatever it is. <laughs> yeah. Deeds speak louder than words. So the Bible uses words like love and faith and obedience to describe how we relate to God within his love. Now, love and relationship words, yes, sorry. The Holy Spirit communicates the love of God to us. He, we, we know that Jesus died for us, but the Holy Spirit communicates the love of God to us, makes us know, feel, sense that we are loved by God. You don't believe me? Here's Romans 5. No, hope doesn't disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. The love of God is not just some abstract idea. It is something which we experience. The Holy Spirit pours the love of God into our hearts. If we've had times of experiencing a particular sense of the presence of the Holy Spirit... Um, you know, moments of wonder, moments of awe. You know. Very often the Holy Spirit will communicate to us something that theologians call the communicable attributes of God, God things that God expresses and we feel and sense. It may be his peace. It may be his joy. It may often be his love. But we will sense peace. We'll sense or be filled with joy. Or we'll be filled with the sense of being loved by God. The Holy Spirit pours Love, joy, peace into us, which is irrespective of our circumstances. Now, I'm having a really good time, so I feel loved. You can be having a really bad time, and God can suddenly turn up and make you, make you know through the Holy Spirit that you are still his loved one. Amen. And just interesting phrase in Romans 15. Look at this. I beg you, brothers, through the, Holy, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit. That's not how much you love the Spirit. It's... How much love the Spirit gives you? Yeah? 
I beg you, brothers, that through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit, the supply of love that the Holy Spirit gives you, that you strive together with me in prayers to God for me. All right? The love of the Spirit. It's a lovely phrase, the love of the Spirit. So when the New Testament, particularly Paul in his letter, speaks of the love of God, it actually includes these three things. Ready? The love of God towards us, for us, towards us, and within us. The love of God. God's love to us. Then, love that reflects and responds back to him. Because we're a loved child, loving our father. And then thirdly, love towards others, especially, firstly, his children, our fellow saints, which is a sharing of his love. I know I've got ahead of myself and said some of these things already. There you go, screen. Sorry, if you were going to snap that. Love is more than emotions and affections. It includes feelings, of course it does, but it's more than that. And love is more than words. Let's look again at John 3.16, famous verse. For God so loved the world that he wrote it in the sky. Now he gave his only begotten son. And when you read gave his only begotten son, you've got to understand that the whole context of John is gave and lifted are always about the cross. He gave him up to the cross. He was lifted up on the cross. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. Scripture there is not telling us what God felt for us, but what God did for us. Other scriptures speak of God's kindness, compassion, pity, and mercy, of course. But they are seen. We understand them because of what he has done and continues to do for us. God's love is described as producing actions, deeds. So love produces choices, decisions, actions. And the law itself, we looked at Deuteronomy 6, verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God. The law points this way. I'm going to read through some scriptures. Just put the headlines on the scriptures up on the screen there for you. Right, Deuteronomy 7. Therefore know that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandments. Notice those two things so often go together who love him and keep his commandments, and repays those who hate him to their face to destroy them. He will not be slack with those who hate him. He will repay him to his face. Therefore you shall keep the commandment, the statutes, and the judgments which I command you today to observe them. Deuteronomy 10. Now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him? to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes which I command you today for your good. Chapter 11, verse 1. Therefore you shall love the Lord your God and keep his charge, his statutes, his judgments and his commandments always. 11.13, promised. And it shall be that if you earnestly obey my commandments which I command you today, to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. Then I will give you the rain for your land in its season, the early rain and the latter rain, that you may gather in your grain your new wine and your oil. And I will send grass in your fields for your livestock that you may eat 
and be filled. Of course, if you're not a farmer, you'll have to understand those promises in another way. But anyway. These references to loving the Lord go right on through Deuteronomy and into Joshua. And they are always connected to keeping his word and keeping his commandments. Now, we'll come back to keeping his commandments in a week or two's time because I'm going to explain to you the law which still is the law for us and the law which we are not now under. All right? We need to be clear about that. Obeying the law of the Lord was how they were to love the Lord. That's how they did it. That's how God knew they, they meant it. Because we can sing and we can say, but we need to do. Nothing wrong with singing and saying that we love the Lord. But the proof is in actions. How they kept his word was how they loved him. And if you separate those two, you're in, into a field of mysticism and make-believe. And, you know, It's all become very, very so-called spiritual, which isn't spiritual because it was spiritual. It's of the Holy Spirit. Obeying the law of the Lord was how they were to love the Lord. Now you might say, to get ahead of myself a bit, Oh, but that's Old Covenant, David. We're not under... Yeah, yeah, but listen to Jesus. Listen to Jesus. Okay. John 14, verse 15. If you love me, you, keep my, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Verse 21. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. There's no such thing as disobediently loving Jesus. If you love me, you obey him. It is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Drawn in to the love of God. The love that the Father has for the Son is the love with which he also loves us. And as we love him by obeying him, we're drawn even more into the love of God. Further down in chapter 15, verse 9. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. Live in my love. Stay in my love. Grow in my love. Build your home in my love. How else do you want to make me to explain abide? It's where you belong. But there are things we do that keep us in the love of God. In our experience of and enjoyment of the love of God, there are things we do that keep us in that position. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you, that my joy... Now listen, love and joy, they're the things that God gives out of himself and we know and experience, aren't we? just said that. That my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends. He's going to lay his life down for us. He went and did it the next day. You're my friends if you do whatever I command you. The old covenant had a first and great commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. It also had a second overriding commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the Ten Commandments work around those two. They're about how we relate to God or how we relate with one another. Loving God 
entirely, loving our neighbor as ourselves, so we don't want to lie to him, we don't want to rob him, we don't take his wife, because we, I love my neighbor as myself. Those two, on those two, Jesus taught it, on those two great commandments hang all the rest of God's good moral law, his holiness. But Jesus added another one. He dared to add another one. Love one another as I have loved you. John 13, verse 34, a new commandment I give to you. I'm adding one, that you love one another as I have loved you. But Jesus didn't just talk about keep my commandment. He's added one in and says to us, keep my commandments. The rest of them too. So we need to look in a few weeks' time at what commandments are we still due to keep. And I understand, therefore, that we as Christians live with this order of priority. Love God. Love one another, the children of God, as Jesus loves us. Thirdly, love our unbelieving neighbors as we love ourselves. But to Jesus, these are all his commandments. God's moral law, those great two and the ten that are built on them, still to this day define what loving God and loving others looks like in action. Here's John again writing in his letter. 1 John 2. Now by this we know that we know we know that we know him. Okay. If we keep his commandments. There it is again. You can't shrug it, can you? He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. Oh, thank you, John. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. Made mature. It doesn't mean you're finished, you're complete. It means you're mature. By this we know that we're in him. He who says he abides in him ought also to walk just as he walked. In other words, the way we live will be like the way Jesus lived. Not completely, but growingly. Maturing it. 1 John 5 verse 2. By this we know that we love the children of God. He turns it around. You say, well, if we love God and keep his commandments, then the proof of that is we love the children of God. But he turns it around and says, we know we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments because they're linked. Because the love that we are giving back to God is because we're receiving it from him and the love we're showing to our brothers and sisters because we... We love him and he loves us and that love is being shared with our brothers and sisters. And we keep his commandments. That's how the Bible defines loving God. Again and again and again. For this is the love of God. Love from him and love returning to him. That we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. Actions speak louder than words. Actions can express what we feel, our intention, our emotion, our feelings, but doing counts more than saying. And just so you know, I'm not making it up. 1 John 3, 18, My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And by this we know that we're of the truth. Could be a capital T there, Jesus. And shall assure our hearts before him. One of the early church fathers says uh, Paul wrote seven letters to churches and Jesus did too. And he said, I thought, wait a minute, is that right? Of course it is. Revelation, 
Jesus writes seven churches, seven letters to seven churches in what is now Turkey. That's the, that's the, that's the place they all were. In Revelation 2, I'm going to read you from the beginning. This is Jesus writing to the church at Ephesus, which gets a letter from Paul as well, doesn't it? To the angel of the church at Ephesus write, these things says he who holds the seven stars, and he's saying the stars are symbols of these churches, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands, which are symbols of his presence in those churches. I know your works. He doesn't say feelings. He says works. I know your works, your labor, your hard work, your patience, endurance, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you've tested those who say they're apostles and they're not and have found them liars. Good for you, he says. And you've persevered and have patience and have labored for my namesake and have not become weary. They've done well. Didn't they do well? But, verse 4, nevertheless, I have this against you, that you've left your first love. Remember, therefore from, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. I'm not going to try to explain that this morning. Then he, there's a conclusion to each of those letters. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Well, I thought Jesus was writing this, of course he is, but the Spirit's saying it too. To him who overcomes. Now, to him who overcomes. What does overcoming mean in, the, in this letter? Exactly. Going back to your first love. To him who overcomes, in context, is repent, Remember, repent and return to your, the things you did at the first time. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. That church in Ephesus had been going for about 10 years by the time this letter was written. I believe the revelation was written in AD 64. Too, too long an answer to give you right now, but why that is. And Paul, at about AD 53, in the book of Acts, Acts 19, goes to Ephesus find some believers, they've only understood the preaching of John, they've only been baptized in the baptism of John, so he teaches them, baptizes them again, prays for them, they receive the Holy Spirit, and he stays with that group of people for about three years and founds a great church in Ephesus before he moves on again. Ten years later, ten years, ten, about ten years later, maybe eleven, Jesus is writing them a letter saying, you started well, you've done a lot of things well, but I've got this against you. And it isn't that he's saying, you don't feel the same. What he points out is they don't act the same. I'm sure that church was still singing the same songs and saying the same prayers. They weren't our songs. Some of the songs they sang, you can find in Scripture, perhaps, unless it's Paul's a poet and keeps writing poetry. But we think some of them were early hymns. This is what Jesus told them to do. First of all, remember... In fact, he says, remember the height from which you've fallen. It's like, there's no, no small thing. You really, have, you really have slid away from this, uh, this first love. You, you don't love me as you once did. What changed? What happened? You can take, he's saying them, you need to remember. So you may need to reflect on what changed. And it may be that you've allowed the cares of this life to... Choke the word, 
You've allowed your, your heart to be filled with all sorts of things that, that, that top, overtop the love of God and become more important than knowing God. And you need to deal with those. Second thing is having remembered, reflected, repent. Repent, it's a Greek word, originally, metanoia, means change your mind. Just that, change your mind. It means fix the attitude. Yeah? Repent doesn't mean doing anything other than, first of all, changing your mind. Then you change your actions. Because as you think, you act. So first of all, it's like, now you don't do this by fixing yourself. You come before God and ask him to help you. Lord, help me. Change my mind. Change my heart. Change the, my attitudes. Heart and mind are very, very, very similar in Scripture. They're not as different as we think they are. They often refer to the same thing. Change me. Change the way I think about these things, Lord. I've allowed myself to think so much about things that take me away from you. That shadow, overshadow, knowing you is my highest priority and loving you and serving you. Change your attitude. And then, Jesus says, renew your words, your works, not words, works. It's kind of like, start to do those things again. He doesn't say, he's not, he's not measuring how you feel, he's saying just start doing the things you used to do. You used to enjoy getting up in the morning and having a time of prayer or reading the scriptures. Start to do again the things you did. Because that is how, friends, this is my, own, my, my old headline this morning, that is how we love God. By doing. Feeling is fine, but feeling needs to become doing. Saying is fine, but saying needs to become doing. Singing is fine. I love, I love singing. I'm glad I've got enough voice to sing this morning. I've been struggling in recent weeks. But singing is not doing. By this you will love me when you do. Renew, repeat your deeds, your works, your actions. Here, Jesus spoke to a whole church community and warned them if they didn't do this, remembering, uh, re repenting, renewing their minds and then renewing their actions of love, faith and obedience, which he calls overcoming in this context. You overcome the immediate problem. You see, some of us want to say, uh, I, well, I know it's like this, but I'll go and overcome that. No, no, no. Where we are is where we need to start. Yes. Okay, let me go there. Let me go there. John's Gospel, Peter's denied Jesus, all right? And he's deeply ashamed of this. And Jesus turns up where they're fishing and he, and, and he serves them breakfast and so on, you know. And, they, and Jesus, Peter's seen Jesus at least a couple of times by now on those Sunday mornings when Jesus appeared to them week by week between his resurrection and what we call the ascension. He's returning to heaven. And this time, Jesus takes him to one side. John is an earshot because John writes it down, doesn't he? Jesus says... To Peter, Peter, do you love me? And he uses that big word. It's called agape. It's high, high love. And Peter has to kind of, Lord, you know I love you like a friend. It's the way, what he answers. And then Jesus asks him again, Peter, do you really love me? Lord, you know I, I, I love you like a friend. The third time Jesus asks him, he lowers the bar. And he says to Peter, in the Greek, 
Peter, do you love me like a friend? Lord, you know all things. You know I love you like that. Our love for God starts where we are. That's what Jesus showed when he dealt with Peter. From where we are. We make a beginning. We don't love him this much all at once. We make a beginning. We start where we are. That's the gracious work of God in Jesus to put to Peter. And I think it's written there as a lesson for many of us. God takes us from where we are, but we move on from where we start. Here Jesus said to them, if you don't do this, I'm going to close you down. You think, what, did, what, what? He's going to close them? Yes, I'll take away your lampstand. The light will go out in Ephesus. By the way, the Lord doesn't want every church to stay open at the cost of his name and his ways not being honoured, you know. Sometimes church communities need to die because they no longer honour Christ. We can claim all sorts of feelings. We can put words together of praise and adoration. There's nothing wrong with that, but feeling and singing and saying are not what loving the Lord is essentially about. It's the way we conduct ourselves in the attitudes of our mind and heart, and the two are really the same, and what we then do in action. It's live action, faith and obedience. So in coming weeks, we're going to look at some headlines, and I haven't put these on the screen for you. Loving God means loving his word. Loving God means obeying him, keeping his commandments. So we need to look at what commandments still uh, over us. Loving God means loving his children. Of course it does. We've read it today. Loving God means not loving wealth and possessions. So not just loving God more than wealth and possessions. Not loving the wealth and possessions. Loving God means honouring him in giving, in tithes and offerings. By the way, I'm not going to tell you what week I'm going to do these so you don't stay away one particular week. Loving God means respecting those he sets in authority over us. And loving God still includes the fear of God. It includes fearing him too. There's a right sense in which we still fear him. Loving God means loving his created order. I don't mean just creation, nature. I mean the way God made things, which is spoiled by sin, but we still admire how he made it and we wish it was like that and therefore we cannot compromise with a sinful, reduced, depraved version of what should be because that's what he made. All right. So if you love God, you will love his order, although it isn't, it's now broken. Loving God means loving righteousness, what is right and good and hating evil. That's my list for now, there may be more yet to come. Loving God is not without promise. When God gives instructions, he usually gives him promises too. There are rewards, there are benefits. You know the Beatitudes? Blessed are those because this is going to happen. Instruction, outcome. Command, blessing. And here, in loving God, there are blessings set out in Scripture, uh, promises. God draws us to himself, to obedience, not only by commands, but also by promises. And The promises are to provoke us, they're to stir us, they're to give us something to why it's worth the effort, why it's worth doing. The law was given with promises to those who keep his commandments. You know, the, the rain and the land and the grass and, and so on. Here today, therefore, are some promises concerning loving God. Psalm 31. I thought you were going to read these out for me today, Maxine. Psalm 31, verse 23. Oh, love the Lord, all you his saints. 
For the Lord preserves the faithful and fully repays the proud person. Romans 8.28. You haven't heard it this way before. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. Promises to those who love him. There are others, but they don't say love on God and Lord. Instead, they speak of what loving the Lord looks like and how he rewards and commends what love does, how it responds to him. The Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. Listen to this. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. In other words, if you don't get it, you don't need it, and it's not good for you. If you walk before him uprightly, and that is your response of love. Yeah? Your response of love to the God who loves is you walk uprightly before him, and then he doesn't withhold any good thing from you. Psalm 103, verse 17. The mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to such as keep his covenant, and to those who remember his commandments to do them. That is the measure of their love for him, that they remember his commandments and do them. We've made a beginning today to consider what it means to love God. Nothing wrong with the words, nothing wrong with the songs, but if there's no action, they're hollow. It's not seen and measured by feelings, but by actions. Though God's love may be felt, it's measured for us by what he has done, the giving of his son and all good things with him and in him. The practical steps we can choose and build with by which we build our love from God. We're going to take them one by one, week by week. My temptation was to give you ten headings and kind of rattle through them and that's it, done. No, we're going to do them one at a time. Take the time to spell them out, to work them through, look at scripture. But it always, always starts with his love for us. We love because we're loved. We love him because he first loved us. We love one another because he loves us and gives us his love. Jude verse 21. It's only one chapter in Jude, isn't it? Keep yourselves in the love of God. One of the kind of paraphrased versions says, stay where the love of God reaches you. Where you know you're staying in the love of God. You're sensing his love, you're experiencing his love, you're giving thanks to him for his love. And you're conducting yourself in a way that you know is the best you can, the best you know right now is pleasing to him. Stay, keep yourselves in the love of God. His love for you, and by the way, the love of God always has these shadows of meaning. Spin them out. His love for you, your love for him, keep yourself in loving him. His love shared with your brothers and sisters in Christ, and of course, with families and so on as well. And loving your neighbor as not as God loves you or you love him, but as you love yourself. You do as you would be done by, to misquote Jesus. Whatever you wish others to do to you, you do to them. You, that is loving your neighbor as yourself. I don't want someone to steal my car, to steal my wife, so I'm not going to steal theirs. Yeah? That's, that's, that's also a command Jesus gave. He was summarizing the Ten Commandments. If you love people the way you love yourself, you won't do them any harm. 
You won't even wish them any harm. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Let's bow our heads and pray. I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to come now to many of us, to all of us, I hope. Here in His love, not that we loved God, but that God loved us. Gave His Son. I won't run through the rest of those verses in my head. God loved us and gave His Son. The signpost to the love of God is the cross of Christ. There's one on my right-hand side. A reminder every week, the very center of our Christian faith is Jesus died for us. That is where God's love was measured out. Gave his only begotten son. Gave him up to the cross. Gave him into our hands. We nailed him. But God made that crucifixion and death the propitiation for our sins. The wiping away of our guilt. The putting away of our enmity with him. So that we could be loved children of God in the awfully, wonderfully beloved Son of God. Holy Spirit, come and make that love that was so demonstrated ring true, full in our hearts and minds in these moments, I pray. Scripture says that the Holy Spirit pours the love of God into our hearts. Holy Spirit, in these moments, we ask you, show us again why we are loved, the measure of it, the depth of it. So that our minds begin to turn to how we can learn practically, kind of principle by principle, how to love you, who first and continually loves us. One of the songs we sang earlier, uh, I forget which one, <laughs> but it says, I, I, I surrender all to you. I think it's the song about goodness of God, being followed, running after, goodness of God running after us. I, I surrender to you, give myself to you. I want to say to you this morning, if you've never done that, if you're not yet a believer because you've not given yourself into his hands, do it today, do it right now. Take your moment right now to say, Lord Jesus, I think I've heard enough. I need to respond to you. I need to turn to you. I need to surrender myself into your hands. Be my shepherd, be my saviour, be my king, be my master from today. Just talk to him. He's a very real person, you know, and he hears you.
Paul closes one of his letters by praying for the disciples that their hearts would be directed into the love of God. That's my prayer for us all today, that our hearts may be directed into the love of God. And of course, it carries those two senses. His love for you, and therefore your love for him. May the Holy Spirit direct our hearts into the love of God. In Jesus' name, amen.